It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. Today we're going to look at some of the possible future directions for DC electric vehicle charging. Electric vehicle uptake is increasing rapidly and fossil fuel new car sales are plummeting. Bryce Gayton, expert from the Australian Electric Vehicle Association, Melbourne University School of Engineering, and contributor for Renew Economy, Renew and the Driven, is here to explain this and what electric vehicle to grid B2G and electric vehicle to home B2H charging options could look like. Hi Bryce, thanks for joining us. Oh, hello Kay, pleasure to be virtually here. <laughs> That's the thing these days, isn't it? Mm. I'm getting used to this, this Zoom conferencing and what have you. I've done a few virtual presentations recently and they've been very well attended. People are still very keen on EVs. There was one for Renew in South Australia. They had 350 or 60 attendees virtually for that one and there was one for Engineers Australia and they had just over 500. So as soon as they mention EV and anything, it just doubles the numbers or more of people turning up to these conferences or the virtual conferences. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm. Because figures from the Electric Vehicle Council showed that 6,718 fully electric and plug-in hybrid cars were sold in Australia in 2019, which was more than triple the 2,216 sold in the year before that. And at the same time, sales of fossil fuel cars fell nearly 8% over that period. And given what you're saying, it sounds like even through this COVID crisis, the interest in EVs hasn't dropped off. No, no, definitely. It's way more than it's been for a while. That's amazing, isn't it? It is. Yeah, Just before the coronavirus pandemic kicked in, I was getting up to once a week doing a presentation to a community group or business group on electric vehicles. Do you think this is the beginning of the end for fossil fuel vehicles in Australia, even in Australia? I wrote an article for The Driven not so long ago that I think I set out a six-step program for showing that EVs were taking over and the fossil fuel cars were falling off a cliff. I think I put this down as about stage four of that. Um, I, can't, I can't quite remember all the details that I wrote now, but it was amazing when I wrote down sort of what would be the sequence of steps in my mind to show that EVs are taking over and looking at what all the sales data and things and showing that EVs are now doing the uptick, the interest is picking up, and the prices of new cars, or sorry, the sales of new cars are starting to fall, and the sales of second-hand cars are starting to go up, as in the vehicle numbers of second-hand cars and their prices were starting to tick up overseas, and even a little bit here, along with the sales of second-hand EVs, their prices were starting to tick up as well, which I think I put those down as about stage four. So that's about where we are at the moment. I think there's more interest in both new and second-hand EVs and less interest in petrol cars or fossil fuel cars at the moment. How many stages do you go up to? I put up to six. 
I think. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the last two stages were, but that was about stage four, saying that people were now holding off their new car purchases and buying older and older secondhand cars because I thought that their EV was going to get closer and closer. So the intermediate car needed to last less and less time. Can you explain to the listeners what V2G, vehicle to grid, and V2H, vehicle to home, Mm. in the EV world, is what they mean? Uh, yes, a lot of people understand sort of the bi-directional or reverse charging. So you can charge a car from the grid, that's normal, and then you could discharge the car into the grid to support the grid. Um, and people think that's everything that there is to know about bi-directional charging, but there's actually two forms. First is what I just said, vehicle to grid, where the battery will supply power to the street or whatever. And then there's the vehicle to home, which is really the first stage, which is the car replaces the home battery system and provides the battery storage that would have been the fixed battery storage in the home in a home storage system. So your solar input to it would be saved, etc. Um, so that's vehicle to home. And then the longer term is vehicle to grid as they develop the, the protocols for communicating with the grid and the grid can say, I want some charge. At the moment, it's mainly just your house um, and then the house will talk to the car and will then download some electricity or charge when you tell it to because it's excess solar PV or cheap electricity at the time. So tell us about the pros and cons of what you predict is the first stage, the vehicle to home systems. Uh, yes, well, at the moment, vehicle to home in well, it would always mean you have to come home and plug the car in in order to take advantage of the battery storage system. So if you're out during the day and plug the car in in the evening, it's very hard to store solar PV, although it would be exporting to the grid, but it wouldn't be saving your solar PV for later use. So you'd still be paying a higher peak tariff in the evenings, for instance, unless you charged your car up at work, for instance, and imported that nice little pile of electricity to use in your vehicle to home system. The main problem with vehicle to home is you need to have the battery at home and the whole point of a car is it's mobile. So if you're away during the day, you can't save your PV. And if you're away for a weekend and you have a power failure, unlikely in the bigger cities, but certainly more likely in um, stretched grid areas, then the car may not be there when you actually wanted the fridge and freezer to be backed up. But you would only need one battery rather than two, and that would have a much larger storage capacity as well, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, yes. I, I think it's a, a quite a good, useful, if you have a big solar PV system and you want to use that storage, it would be quite handy, but you would need to be home to actually take advantage of it for a vehicle-to-home system. So that that, that is the, the slight downfall. On the other side, yes, you would have a lot more capacity to soak up power and charge your car via totally renewable energy of your own creation. You mentioned earlier about certification of the vehicle to grid and vehicle to home systems. Where is it at at the moment in Australia? Uh, Unfortunately, at the moment, vehicle to grid, vehicle to home systems are not yet certified. So all equipment for that's connecting to the grid that actually supplies power to the grid must be registered and certified as able to be used and connected to the grid. At the moment, no vehicle to grid, vehicle to home systems have been certified. They're obviously experimental systems being trialled. That's all part of getting the certifications as well as testing the things. And I know of a few that are under test, but even the ones that are available in Japan can't be installed here simply because there is no certification for them yet. And what about potential pricing for these systems? Problem with vehicle to grid systems is, or vehicle to home systems, is there's not many sold, so it's economy of scale. They're sort of ten to fifteen thousand dollars to install. That's sort. He's looking at that sort of number, which is significantly more than the home system. Obviously, it's a much bigger battery than a home system. But even looking at a six kilowatt hour home system, you're under ten thousand for memory. 
although that could change in the next five years or so. Oh, yes. That's, that's the other side of the coin when it comes to pricing comparisons. The home systems will start being able to take advantage of used electric vehicle batteries because as those electric vehicle batteries are no longer quite suitable to run in the car anymore as the capacity comes down, they're still perfectly good for lower charge and discharge rates, which a home system does perfectly. They're just a, a gentle charge and a gentle discharge, and they'll last another 10 years or more as a home battery system. So you could actually unpack the batteries or the manufacturers could unpack the batteries and repack them into the home storage system, which would lower the cost of a home storage system significantly, especially in comparison to the fixed cost of rewiring and installing the vehicle-to-grid systems. So that price gap, even as vehicle-to-grid comes down, may still not close because the vehicle to home battery systems will also get cheaper. So currently there's more disadvantages rather than advantages for the vehicle-to-home systems, but that can change over the next five years. Oh, yeah. Would would that also change with the introduction of autonomous driving? Uh, yes. Well, one of the other disadvantages of a vehicle-to-home system I didn't mention was you'd have to remember to always plug it in the moment you came home and then have to always unplug it as you leave because otherwise it's not a lot of use if it's not connected, which given I own a longer-range EV in the electric Kona, I probably only charge it once every week or two, especially at the moment not doing a lot of driving. So it would actually be a chore to remember to have to, you know, for a little trip, to plug it and unplug it maybe two, three times a day. So that would be a, a, a slight annoyance as well. Whereas an autonomous car, if they start taking advantage of the wireless charging systems, then they would be connected all the time. They just park themselves over a charging system. The minor detail is the wireless charging systems do rely on AC to get the magnetic field to pass from one car to the other. So there would be multiple steps of change, or you'd have to have a rectifier in the car to change that from AC back to DC, which you have for your AC at the moment, but that's not bi-directional because a DC plug is a physical plug designed for large currents. And that's what yeah. the standards basically sort of revolve around. The DC plug will be the bi-directional charging system. So there isn't at the moment, as far as I know, a capacity for AC bi-directional charging. There was a rumor going around in the last week or so about Tesla charges were supposed to be through a third-party teardown, someone just thought, ooh, that looks like they might actually be transistors in part of the system, which makes it bidirectional as an AC system, uh, which has, by the way, been debunked since. They, they turned out that they were most likely to be trans, um, diodes, so they only allow one-way passing current, so they would definitely only one-way charge. But even if Tesla went down that route, the standards, as far as I know, aren't designed for AC bidirectional. So they may go down their own route for their power wall systems if they wanted to, but there doesn't appear to be any evidence of them doing so. Mm. And the other option would be to go to wireless DC charging systems. Yes, but then uh, transformers rely on an alternating uh, changing current to get the magnetic field, which DC by definition doesn't have it as a fixed state this, uh, magnetic field, which would not be any use for transformers. That was why the original systems designed by Edison, which were DC, didn't perform very well. And it was Tesla that came up with the AC system because you could tr use transformers to step up and down the voltage, which gave you very long distance trans transmission of electricity. Uh, same thing, transformers only work with AC, not with DC. So there's a problem there. Mm -hmm. So we've introduced some more complexity. Yes, I didn't think of that when I wrote an article recently, which will be in the next Renew, um, that about 
autonomous cars and bidirectional charging may be a tad tricky. Unless you have someone that car parks it and they, they just come along and plug them all in. Well, that's right. That's that's exactly what you'd need. Mm. <laughs> in, a, in a fleet situation for a business, that there is no reason not to. The, the driver would come in, they'd plug in their car to the bidirectional charger. And for business, vehicle-to-grid would be a wonderful solution for high electricity bills because they could get onto a tariff that was involved in allowing bidirectional charging. And therefore, they would have you know, 5, 10, 20, 50 EVs. So maybe half of them would be plugged in at any one time. There would be a bonus to them, a real incentive to them to actually make sure the cars are plugged in because they could then take advantage of a bidirectional tariff and save themselves lots of money. That is another problem with home vehicle-to-grid systems. There may only be one car, in which case, why would the supply authority offer you a bidirectional tariff to give you be cheaper because you could supply power to the grid when the chances are a car may not be there when they actually wanted that available power? You've jumped the gun a bit because my next question was, with vehicle-to-grid, what are the disadvantages and advantages? So we've just heard that there's advantages in terms of fleet owners, mm. but not necessarily for individual owners. Yes, and for fleet owners, there's some new DC charges becoming available that are 11 or 22 kilowatt rather than 50 kilowatt and above, um, which are much cheaper. So it is worth them putting in those sorts of charges. And if they introduced a bi-directional capacity to them, which is looking like that we're coming in the next five years, then there's a real bonus for business owners, fleet owners, to take advantage of that. So it could become quite a useful thing in, in the fleet market and business area. I just personally, and his personal opinion, I don't quite see it really getting an economy of scale enough to get going in the home market. There just seem to be enough advantages to a home battery system that will propagate themselves with the cheaper batteries being moved into them that it may not take off in homes but a lot of people are really interested in it so it's a, it's a watcher space. We've seen the installation of the large DC charging stations around Australia from 50 kilowatts to 350 kilowatts hmm. and they dwarf my first generation home plug-in AC charging system <laughs> of two kilowatts. <laughs> it is obviously the charging system of choice for long distance travel and fast fuel station like recharging for people that don't have AC charging access at home. Mm. So you say the AC is the king for everything because it's simple, cheaper and more convenient. But just DC charging at home, is, is there a market there for that? For DC charging at home, there would not be at the moment a market for it because your power connection is what limits it and the average house is either 32 or 64 amp which is 32 amps is um, in total 7 kilowatts or 64 would be 14 kilowatts coming in so you'd want no more than half of that to go it's to the car single phase you're talking a single about. phase house yes can you go through the range of options that are will be available with regard to the dc charger-based vehicle-to-grid systems and vehicle-to-home systems? Uh, what's available now for DC vehicle-to-grid uh, or vehicle-to-home is, there in Australia, nothing. Overseas, there is the Nissan system, which is um, based on the Chatamo plug. That's because in Japan, they have a they, they have a number of problems with tsunamis and earthquakes and what have you, so that they get a bit worried about national emergencies and, and backing up power. So they, they are quite fond of some sort of backup system, which is where the vehicle-to-grid Nissan system or the Chatamo system. So Chatamo is further ahead than the CCS system in terms of vehicle-to-grid charging. At the moment, 
Um, so only Chatamo offers it, which means it's pretty much Nissan or Mitsubishi. And pretty much only in Japan are they um, readily available. In terms of the CCS vehicle to grid systems, they're in experimentation at the moment. So I know there's a few people in Australia even experimenting with them, but the Charin consortium that looks after the standards for CCS charging, DC charging, are uh, looking at a timeline running out to 2025 before they all do full vehicle to grid. They'll be doing vehicle to home systems in about two years time, and then their standards are evolving to be able to roll them out. So. Looking at a timeline, if you're looking for vehicle to grid, it's probably 2025 and beyond before we'll see much happening there as far as systems being available, systems being installed, grid tariffs being made available to businesses and what have you to use vehicle to grid systems. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Bryce Gayton about vehicle to grid and vehicle to home charging systems. You did mention earlier about a range of smaller capacity, 11 and 22 kilowatt bi-directional DC chargers, where would they be used? Well, they're not available yet. These unidirectional ones are charging the cars only. They're um, Rectify Technologies is one brand. They um, are available um, and they're talking about the longer term. So in the next few years, again, they're having bi-directional capacity. Again, it's just not quite there yet for the installation of bi-directional capacity. So there's a lot of talk, but not a lot of availability when it comes to bi-directional charging. Does that also include portable DC chargers? Ah, yeah, um, again, they're not bi-directional, but there are a number of portable DC chargers around. So for the more intrepid EV traveller that wants to go outback, um, there's always three-phase outlets around the place. And AIVA, Australian Electric Vehicle Association, and Tesla's Owners Association jointly had a project to install three-phase outlets around Australia. So there is actually a route around Australia and down the centre and a number of other places for being able to plug in to three-phase outlets, which means if you had a three-phase DC portable charger, you could actually get up to 22 kilowatts through a 32-amp three-phase plug. And there's a couple of those available. C-Tech make one of them. They're made in China. Um, they're very bulky, heavy sort of unit, but they are, in inverted commas, portable. And I know a couple of people that have them, and I'm very pleased with them. And there's another one that's just become available in Germany, that's about half the weight of the CTEC, a very nice looking unit. And in the next renew, when it comes out, I have a short um, a picture and a little bit of a description of it. They're rather more expensive than the CTEC, so they're probably almost triple the cost. So, What are the prices and, and weights of them? The CTEC or the CTEC's about 40 kilograms, and you're looking at around $10,000, $12,000, bit less perhaps. The German one is about 20 kilos, so about half the weight, but it's you're looking at over $30,000 here in Australia. So that's quite expensive, and you'd be lugging the equivalent of a small person around all the time as well. Yes, yes. So the German one under 22 kilos is, is quite a nice small unit. The CTEC one, if you go for the 22 kilowatt one, is a big chunky thing. Um, the 11 kilowatts a bit smaller. Uh, I think it's about half the weight, but it's still, they're not, they're not light. They're not something you would carry in the boot as a spare lead. I know someone with a BMW like yours that actually does a regular commute from Bega up through to Canberra and has one of those, and, and he's really keen on ah. it. Ah, great. If we um, got to DC charging, bi-directional charges in the home, does the speed of charging increase compared to AC charging? No. no you, you're limited by what's your maximum capacity that you're 
supply from the street will do. And for a house, that's generally, you could only really supply an EV with seven kilowatts, even on the, the biggest single phase AC cable coming in, in which case um, it's the same as an AC charging system. Unless you have a three-phase or two-phase house. Yes, unless you have three-phase, in which case if you have a BMW i3, you could do 11-kilowatt three-phase AC charging anyway. With the Renault Zoe, you can do 22-kilowatt three-phase AC charging. Mm. They both are, And the Teslas do three-phase 11-kilowatt charging, and some of the older ones will do up to 22-kilowatt AC charging. So depending on the vehicle you have, you could get just as good a charge from AC as you could from a DC charger at a lot cheaper price for the, the unit to charge with. Does DC charging affect battery life more than slower charging? Uh, the main issue with shortening a battery's life is heat, and that's very well addressed by most of the manufacturers, all the manufacturers that say they do. The early Nissan Leaves had a problem that in the very hot climates, if you were using them fairly hard, the batteries got rather warm because they didn't um, cope with the heat very well. They don't, uh, they aren't actively cooled. Therefore, the ones in hot areas like in America, in Arizona, they were degrading at twice the rate that Nissan said they should. Um, but Nissan came to the party on them to some degree, so um, they learnt their lesson with that and they improved the battery chemistry. Although Nissan still use the a more passive cooling system than other manufacturers. Most manufacturers now have actually a liquid cooling system through the battery to maintain a very stable temperature. So that keeps that side of the coin um, well looked after now, that the, the batteries will have a cooling system and therefore they're not going to get hot during the charging, which is one of the damaging features of, you know, obviously the higher the current, the faster the charge and the hotter they get. So you're just cooling it a bit more. It might be a little less efficient because you're providing energy to cool it, but that's, um, so that, doesn't damage the batteries. And then there's the expansion and contraction problem with if you're charging them quite hard, they'll expand and contract the battery at a faster rate. And they do gently always gently expand or contract. If you're pushing them quite hard, they'll do that more. And again, that's a chemistry issue and a design issue, which they're always addressing. And the manufacturers are also quite nervous about warranty claims due to Nissan probably having those problems in the early days with their batteries degrading faster in hot conditions. So generally speaking, they don't enable the fastest possible charging yet, that they're always a bit conservative in whatever charging rates they set up. The Porsche Taycan is a good example. It currently does 250 kilowatts, which is quite rapid. Um, and towards the end of the year, as they're trialling it, they're running, they're saying they'll be up to 350 kilowatt charging. So it's a, taking wow. advantage of the full charging capacities, but it's very much a matter of the, um, uh, the manufacturers are quite nervous about it, so they keep their charging rates conservative rather than pushing them too hard. Certainly Tesla and what have you have built cars that they're doing you know, four or 500,000 miles and people haven't replaced some of those batteries. The new battery technology that Tesla's about to do an announcement on in their battery call that was due recently, but I think got put off for a little bit longer. Um, they're saying a million mile battery. So mm, good for the life of the car right. and beyond. Exciting, isn't it? Mm. Given that this year we've been and will continue to have social distancing limitations for last large gatherings. Mm, yeah, very much so. What's going to happen with the EV Expo this year? Yes, well, we had a really brilliant uh, event planned, which is the 2020 EV Vision event, which is going to have a big conference, a two-day expo, an awards dinner, 
all of which would have been in serious contravention of whatever COVID-19 rules would be around at the time. So we've had to pivot to a, a very much different event, although hopefully as interesting and as well attended, except it'll be in um, virtual form. So we're hoping to do a all-day conference with either three to five streams, but we can actually get more international speakers. We had a number of international people interested in coming to the previous in-person conference, and but they couldn't make it, so we'll be able to include them as well as the ones that did say they were. Um, and we'll also have a, what we're calling the Evico tour. It's um, based on what I did on a single car last year, which I called the EV Long Weekend Tour. In seven days, I did a complete circuit of Victoria at 2,400 kilometres, which, as I always said, the car did brilliantly. I did less well. I was buggered at the end of it. This okay. year, we're setting up, I'm taking a escorted tour. This time, it'll be six days and about 1,400 kilometres, and we're going to go out east, Victoria, and just, just basically introduce new long-range EV owners uh, that, that may not have actually been confident enough yet to go on a long-range tour to do a, a long-range EV. EV weekend and go out to East Gippsland and basically give some promotion to the bushfire regions and have a look around and look at the regrowth starting in spring. So this will be late September and um, give some business to the area and we'll all be in suitable COVID-19 restricted. So we'll be staying in our own cabins, in our own cars um, and progressing as a small number of people booked into restaurants, what have you, and whatever the, the 10 or 20 numbers will be. So that, that'll be quite an exciting event. I'm really looking forward to that one and, and looking to set that up as a test drive, hopefully in the next three to four weeks. Wow, Bryce, that sounds really exciting. The EV Eco Tour and the EV Expo this year. Sounds great. Where can people find out more about all this? Uh, lots of places. I recommend going to the Australian Electric Vehicle Association's new website, aeva.asn.au. We'll get you there. And you can look up all the fact sheets on all the current battery electric vehicles available. And you can look up a single page sheet listing all the battery electric vehicles and plug in hybrid electric vehicles with all their range and battery size and other data about them, towing capacities, what have you. Um, you could attend one of the Australian Electric Vehicle Association meetings. You could also attend some of the Renew meetings. I've been doing a number of ones on electric vehicles at the moment. There's quite a big one in South Australia I mentioned earlier at the start of this month. And the other thing with virtual meetings is you don't have to be in that state or even that city to attend these meetings. So keep an eye out on the AVA website um, for something happening. There's a one in Tasmania, I think, even um, on the 27th, that uh, would have just been. And there's others popping up. So if you keep an eye out for different states, you could drop in on theirs. Thanks so much for your time today, Bruce. Bryce. <laughs> Thank you, Kay. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast. 
produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.